You're listening to The Face Podcast with me, Davey Reed. Our usual host, Matthew Whitehouse, is off this week, so I'm filling in. But joining me today at Spotify HQ is Jade Wicks and TJ Sidhu from The Face's editorial team. And we'll also be calling up the journalist, Anna Cafola. There's loads of stuff to talk about this week, including Ice Spice and Megan Thee Stallion's controversial new tracks, All of Us Strangers and the John Galliano documentary. So I'm just going to lay my cards on the table here. I'm a little bit hungover. <laughs> it should be okay. I've got this CBD-infused kombucha, uh, which was in the Spotify fridge. So I'm going to drink 12 of those, I think. But uh, yeah, it was a great night last night. We did uh, New Noise, which is the Faces event series where we book kind of new emerging talent. And it's probably the best one so far. Do you reckon, TJ? I think so. It was a great night. Brilliant lineup. High tech definitely brought the drama. Yeah, yeah. So we booked, um, we had High Tech, who are this trio from Detroit, and they have this sound, which is like a kind of new version of Ghetto Tech with a bit of rap and a bit of footwork and stuff like that. But yeah, there's a massive buzz about them. Like it was their first time performing in London. So they were just like absolutely bouncing off the walls, basically. And yeah, I interviewed them in Covent Garden, and they also really wanted to buy ski masks. So I had to interview them <laughs> while they were walking around trying on ski masks oh in God. the North Face store. Um, I, mean, I want to know. Did TJ get up on stage? That's Sadly what I not. Um, there was a giant red dildo on stage. No, there wasn't. Yeah. Did you see that? One of the guys <laughs> from High Tech, it was part of his act. What did he do with it? Which he then threw into the crowd. Oh, wow. And then asked for it back. Oh, God. Yeah. So for oh. context, you know... <laughs> High tech, it's part of the style, like it's ghetto tech. So if anyone's not familiar with ghetto tech, it's like this sort of long running Detroit genre, which is kind of like Chicago ghetto house and like raunchy vocals are very much part of it. Hence the context for the dildo. But yeah, they were they were great, man. Raunchy. They really brought it. They were brilliant. I was, yeah. Whenever we do these events, I always have this thing where like the first half an hour when no one shows up, I'm so nervous. It's, it's like, like inviting people to your birthday, it isn't it? Is. No yeah. one's going to turn yeah. up. But its I've got to say, every every month, it's its uh, definitely a highlight it is. of my month. It yeah, is. it is going quite well, isn't it's it? It's going yeah. really, really well. Yeah, I mean, the first half an hour of those events is me stood on an empty dance floor, <laughs> praying, gin and tonics. <laughs> yeah. And then it, it's like, as soon as as soon as soon the bands come on, it really popped off. And we had Chai Carty as well, who's sick. She had like a couple of freestyles last year and she used to wear balaclava and then she had a track which dropped at like I think the end of November last year called Bossed Up and it was like she it's just gone so well for her. Like before it dropped, it like there was a snip of it on TikTok and mm. everyone's like demanding that she dropped it. And then as soon as she put it out, like in her Instagram comments, there's like Central C, Little Sims, Stormzy, yeah. Unknown T, K Trap. So there's just loads of buzz about her. And I don't think she's, I think that might be in, like maybe a second ever live performance. Wow. Um, she's already so, got that stage presence, hasn't she? Yeah. yeah. Attitude. It's great. It's really yeah, good definitely. To watch. Definitely. And it was interesting because when we. When we when I kind of post the lineup on Instagram, I was getting loads of like A and Rs and like industry people, like loads of people. So I think everyone kind of wants to sign both acts. Wow. So like I kind of warned High Tech. They're like, "What's the crowd going to be like?" I'd be like, "Oh, there's going to be loads of really young people, loads of like fashion students having a good time, but there'll be a section of kind of boring looking A and Rs <laughs> stroking their chins at the back, and they're like, nah, fuck that. If we see them, we're going to run over and pour tequila down their throats.'" Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, there's there's a section for the A and R. But yeah, it went really, really well. But TJ, Amazing. you showed up a little bit late, but you've been to see that John Galliano documentary, right? Yeah. Is it good? Yeah, it's great. It's really great. Um, so the documentary is coming out 
in March, I believe. And I was very lucky to have an early screener. And essentially, the crux of the documentary is detailing his life from uh, growing up in Broccoli in South London to his mammoth ascent into fame, notoriety, and essentially becoming one of you know the great greatest contemporary designers of our time. Um, but as well as that, it addresses the very controversial 2011 incident where he went on an anti-Semitic rant mm. and essentially there's a, there's a segment at the end of the film I'd say about 20-30 minutes of it it's dedicated to him ad- addressing it and how he rehabilitated himself um, addressing his addictions and I think that's something that a, a lot of people have been waiting to hear so with that said the Margiela Couture show showed last week amazing it was unbelievable it was phenomenal and I think in fashion, I feel like it's almost lost its rock and roll edge, you know, yeah. where like fashion shows, especially, you know, McQueen in the 90s, Galliano mm. at Dior, they were spectacles. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there was there was so much sort of beauty and characters. And, and this was all of it. And of course, John Galliano, as a designer, you know, he's he's very much revered for that. His shows at Dior were, you know, extravagant. They were larger mm. than life. They were so sort of enriched with like, historical references um and as well watching the documentary last night it, you really got a sense of actually galliano's genius mm. you know like the way he thinks of his models not as models but as characters you know yeah. and he, yeah. he he very infamously like tells models just before they're about to run out who they are you yeah. know so you've just escaped a castle and you're mm. running away from your husband or whatever <laughs> but you can really see it you know and it is it's tra- it can be traced back to his you know his 80s collections you know like the ludic game where all these like weird kind of fantastical creatures are just you know walking around you're yeah. like who are these people it's so playful and i think the way that he like kind of pushed the envelope with like proportion and yeah. like the body and like yeah. the different kind of shapes and sizes that came down the runway like i think can feel quite tokenistic in shows nowadays where it's just like oh yeah shove a couple plus size models here and there just totally. to kind of like make sure that you're adhering to what you know the public wants from these kind of shows nowadays but it just felt so natural and not forced and very much part of like you know the identity of Margiela under his helm. The other thing I've seen everyone's talking about in the fashion world is the new creative director of Machino right? Yes. And that's big news. That's right yeah so it's uh, Argentinian designer Adrian Apialaza um, who succeeds David René who very tragically and very sadly passed away in November last year. So Adrian, um, it's it's an interesting one with Adrian because he's he's never been a creative director at House, which I think puts him in a very interesting position. Um, we can't really expect much from him, which I think is good. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be a bit of a surprise. What is, what are his like big accolades though? Well, so he's got quite the bulging CV. Um, so <laughs> <Ooh>. He. <laughs> So in 2002, Phoebe Philo saw his Central St. Martin's graduate collection and she invited him to join the design team at Chloe. In 2006, he worked with Michia Prada at Miu Miu. In 2010, he became senior designer at Louis Vuitton under Marc Jacobs. Then he returned to Chloe as design director in 2012, which was under Claire Wake Keller. And then in 2014, he joined Lueve uh, with Jonathan Anderson um, as design director. I mean, um, bloody hell. Yeah, so he's got, got quite the CV. He's got, he's got plenty, plenty of experience. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see what he's, um, see what Adrian's going to do. And his first show is in February this month uh, during Milan Fashion Week, so pretty soon. Um, 
and also it was uh, Simone Roche's couture collection through Jean-Paul Gaultier. Beautiful. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was stunning. Loved I it. It was, it was, it was, it had all, all of the sort of Simone signatures and it was mm. mythical, it was feminine, it but was it was feminine. equally very tough in places. Yeah. Match made in heaven. Match made in heaven, I think. And sat front row was actually a friend of the face, Amelia de Moldenberg. Chicken shop girl. Chicken shop, chicken shop girl. <laughs> who was uh, sat next to none other than Kylie Jenner. Wow. wow. Two worlds collide. Two worlds collide. Yeah. It's funny seeing Amelia's career kind of skyrocket, isn't it? Because mm. yeah. obviously, you know, I mean, everyone's listening knows the concept of Chicken Shop Day. And the guests on that show have just got bigger and bigger and bigger. But she's mm. been doing red carpet stuff for a little while in the States. And that's going so well. And I think, you know, the, the GQ Men the Year Award she did, was that back in November or something? Yeah, she also did the Golden Globes last year. Yeah, I think yeah. Which she went down super well, particularly her interaction with Andrew Garfield, which was, you know, filled with sexual tension. Yeah, brilliant. And um, then she was also uh, hired by Gucci to do their yeah. quote-unquote red carpet. Mm. Um, She's the woman at the moment. Before yeah. the show it's last ca- September. It's amazing. It's kind of like a little bit like, you know, I don't mean this in like a critical way, but like kind of surprising because like mm. in like Hollywood, I don't know, I don't think of people out there getting British humour that well. Like mm. sometimes I've noticed if you speak to someone from LA and you, you're kind of sardonic or something like that, like they can people can be quite offended yeah, or something like that. But definitely. for some reason... She's just mastered the art of like creating these little violent moments of celebrities, and actually, people seem to really like her on the red carpet because mm. she's actually really just funny rather than being quite cheesy and it's boring. Yeah. Viewing, isn't it? It is. Yeah, quite, it is. I think there is a part of us that quite likes seeing these A-list celebrities slightly squirm. Definitely, yeah. she she has this real knack of making people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, but, but you know, in a, in a, in yeah. a good way. Also, I think because she's mastered her niche so well, and she's become so recognisable, like, for her kind of shtick, like, I think celebrities know to, like, tap into that bit of themselves when, when she kind of approached them with her mic. It's like, they kind of know that it's going to be this playful vibe, and they're quite happy to kind of lean into that. They're not kind of caught off guard too much. Yeah, it kind of, it's like, and you can tell because people watch the show and people mm. are saying they're a fan. So people kind of now it's got the point where they're kind of preparing their funny answers for her, I think. Yeah, exactly. I think it's like when she catches people off guard, if they respond badly, I, they come across quite badly. But when they respond yeah. well, like Jeremy Allen White was like a really sound and real mm. gentleman and really went along with it. And that <laughs> made him seem really likeable, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. It's funny. She's kind of... Um, I feel like she's kind of just mastered that art of of creating these viral moments. Mm. I mean, the Louis Theroux thing, that was... Oh my God, that was mental. You know, so he'd made that documentary about rappers in like the early noughties, mid noughties or something like that. She then... He does a he does a rap in it and it's kind of silly. She then had him on Chicken Shop Date. Yeah, the Wiggle Jiggle song. The is Wiggle it? Jiggle. I mean, that became that took on a life of its own. <laughs> yeah, and then after she did it on the Chicken Shop Date, and yeah. then that became huge, and it kind of like made Louis through a bit more relevant yeah, to the yeah, audience. Yeah. So it's definitely. like it's definitely a, a, a strong power to have. That isn't mm, it? Definitely, she's smashing it. I mean, I don't know if we've mentioned, but she is gonna be hosting the red carpet. She's kind of like the the Oscars Academy red Awards. Carpet, yeah. yeah, the Oscars red carpet. She's kind of the Academy Awards official kind of social media correspondent, which is kind of like the pinnacle, I yeah. think, for her. And I'm really excited to see what that, what content that creates. I think it's going to be really funny. Yeah. yeah. Actually, speaking of film stuff, like Jade, you and TJ, you two are both a lot more plugged in than me and what's going on. Like, what's out at the minute that everyone's talking about? And then what are like the trailers coming out, which people are talking about? Well, I think the most obvious one is All of Us Strangers. I am still reeling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I watched it last Sunday and what a fantastic film. I would go as far as to say it's one of the best films I've seen in probably a decade. <laughs> yeah. What do you love about it? 
Well, I think what what was so beautifully done, and Andrew Hay did this very, very well in his film Weekend, is that he depicts gay romance, gay love, queer love, with so much tenderness and so much nuance, and, and he handles it with almost such precision you know he gets mm. that like he he gets those very very small delicate details and there's i don't don't want to spoil things too much but there's a, a sort, sort of a coming out scene between him and his mum and that was the real tearjerker moment wow. for me you know yeah. and i think for a, for a lot of queer people who watch this film i mm. think it's definitely going to touch a few nerves i feel like andrew scott and paul mescal's press tour has been <sighs> spot on as well incredible yeah i watched them both on a uh, graham norton and they, just, <gasps> yeah. their chemistry is so so they're obviously just great pals aren't they they are they yeah and andrew scott has this way about him where he can he can present his vulnerability on screen mm. with just half a smile oh. or just you know there's n- absolutely no need for for, for overacting it's just how, how was Paul Mescal in it oh, he was great yeah. he was great yeah Paul I think he can do no wrong actor. at this point yeah. you yeah. love him don't you I do love him I mean did we watch the chicken shop day everyone oh amazing not that he, not that he needed to uh, you know rehabilitate his image in anyway but that <laughs> I haven't seen that yet is he good on it oh it's he's great. great on it he comes off so well he's and hilarious. him and Amelia bounce off each other really they well they do um, yeah he's very like effusive and just just seems like a stand-up guy, really. You know, I've seen After Sun, and he's really good at doing these really vulnerable characters, mm. and there's that kind of sort of tender sadness in his eyes. Yeah. Do you think he need? Do you think he's ever at risk of becoming typecast? Do you think he needs to play like a villain or a bad boy or anything like that? I think, I think no, not yet. I mean, we'll see with uh, this Gladiator thing. I oh, mean, yeah, that's yeah. like the big kind of tough nut, yes, tough nut role. And then he's also been cast in Hamnet, which is going to be directed by Chloe Zhao, who did Nomadland. Cool. Um, and what I do really like about him is that I think over half his films have been directed by women. Yeah. And I think that that shows quite a conscious decision on his part of like, how he chooses his roles yeah um which i really like because i think a lot of actors don't do that yeah so gladiator 2 they're filming that right now they've wrapped filming really yeah so i think that's going to be coming out i think it might be coming out this year or at the top of next year yeah i don't go for a blockbuster but i could be tempted by that oh, that's absolutely. like i'm a gladiator that's a go-to yeah film. Like, that's a, a cheesy nachos and a tango <laughs> 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 yeah. on a hangover yeah. oh my god one thing you mentioned the other day jade is that shooting a movie adaptation of Vineland by Thomas Pynchon, right? Yeah, It's Paul right. Thomas Anderson thing. Paul Thomas Anderson, um, apparently set to be his most commercial film ever. I'm not really sure what that means. Weird, yeah. I think that basically means it's got big bucks behind it. I think it's costing like 100 million. Um, and Leonardo DiCaprio is in the lead role with Regina Hall. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Like, mm. I loved, um, I thought Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson's last film was amazing. He's great. Vineland, it's funny, I haven't, like, actually read it, but I've mm. read the first chapter, like, three times. What, just because it's, like, that hard to kind of get into? Yeah, for some reason, I've, like, read it, loved the, f- the first chapter. It kind of opens up with, there's this guy, and he lives in a small town in California, I think, mm. and every year he does a thing where he sort of runs down the street in a dress with a chainsaw and jumps through a big pane of glass. Oh my god! And like it's a thing he does every year, and like the media, <laughs> the local media come, and everyone in the town gathers to see him do it. That's so I think so the funny. first chapter ends with him just like literally the feeling of him going through the glass. Wow. And I don't know, it's just like it, it kind of works as a short story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't need anything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, 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 do you know when you when you mentioned that they're making a movie, I was thinking I might give it a go. Actually, yeah. You, I mean, I'm one. quite sold to be honest. Yeah. I hope we get some shots of Leo running down the street in a dress holding a chainsaw. That's what we deserve. Do you think he's well cast, David? Uh, 
I mean, I've only read the first chapter a couple of times. I mean, as I mean, an actor, I know there's, yeah, yeah, I know there's, people don't like Leonardo for other reasons, but as an actor, I really quite like him. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, he's great. fantastic. Yeah, I'll definitely be watching that. You know, we should talk about the music stuff, and we you know, should. we talked about Amelia before, and we talked about sort of um, mastering the art of virality. And mm. so we've been doing this thing in the Face podcast where we pick a track of the week, as me, you, and Olive Jade, we, yeah. uh, we do a playlist and we do like a little track review of the songs mm. we write about. And then, so we decide we pick one. You felt like it's been a bit of a duel recently. Yeah, you know what? It really gets me sweating this. Does it? Yeah. Does it? Well, I'm probably sweating more than you because I'm coming over today. But I think, you know, th- this is going to be, um, this is going to be spicy uh, tracks of the week. Pardon section. the pun. Yeah, oh, yeah. pardon the pun. Because Megan Thee Stallion dropped her track Hiss and Ice Spice dropped her song. I mean, what should I say the title? Is it? Go I really on. enjoy hearing what you exactly say the title. is the title. The title is Think You the Shit in brackets Fart. So, the thing is with this is it's interesting that two of possibly the most relevant rappers at the minute have both dropped songs, which in my opinion, of intended very strategically you go viral in very different ways mm. and so Ice Spice you know what she's done there is her team and Ice Spice clearly know that loads of people are going to hate the fact that she's made a fart song yeah. and everyone they, but she, they know that it's going to just create a lot of social media discourse mm. it kind of reminds me a bit of I always think of Ice Spice and Central C as being like very parallel artists like on different sides of the pond like they both come from drill but they've found commercial success by kind of making a more light-hearted more pop adjacent version of it and you know I think with Central C that opening line on Doja mm. and he did a genius annotation of that and he said you know it was a lyric which you, at first you're not sure whether or not I should say it but then you realise yeah. you can say it. something which is provocative and divisive but also not something you could get cancelled for I think Sprinter mm. that 100 Eaters lyric was kind of weird but it's yeah. stuck in everyone's head so I think the Ice Spice track, I have only listened to it once. I don't think I'll listen to it again. No, and I feel like maybe Sencha's done a better job of like towing that line where it doesn't descend into like pandemonium and silliness. I, I agree, and I think I think Me- Megan's situation is very different because yeah. that track, and I think I think first of all the Ice Spice track as well. It's like she, the time I did listen, to it, I didn't think it just sounded. It was a great song either. No. The, she sounded a little bit awkward on the beat. I thought. Um, which she does anyway yeah well she's got that kind of slightly laconic laid back style which can sound really cool on the but then she kind of on the wrong beat maybe doesn't sound that sure of herself and Mm. the fact that so she almost sounds a little bit anxious in the booth whether or not she's not sure whether or not she should be making the fart song think you the shit bitch you not even the fart nah I be going hard nah I'm breaking their hearts like bitches be quick but I'm quicker Bitches be thick, but I'm thicker. She could be rich, but I'm richer. Damn. Take it on me. She sounds quite uncertain. Yeah, mm. she does, she does. But then Megan sounds very, very certain. Oh, yeah. Confident. Punches. That oh. opening a cappella vocal yeah. is, I think, 
TJ the other day in the office had some like really mellow playlist, which was like a combination of sort of like Neil Young and like neoclassical stuff. <laughs> and then you obviously got really bored and you just stuck hiss on really loudly. Yeah. And like when that intro comes in, it's just like, well, we're not getting any work done, are we? I just want to kick this shit off by saying, fuck y'all. I ain't got to clear my name on a motherfucking thing. Every time I get mentioned, one of y'all bitch ass niggas get 24 hours of attention. I'm going to get this shit off my chest and lay it to rest. Let's go. And if the beat live, I feel like Mariah Carey. Got these niggas so obsessed. My pussy so famous might get managed by Chris Jenner next. He can't move on, can't let it go. He hooked nose full of that Tina Snow. And since niggas need Megan help to make money, bitch, come be my hoe. All of you bitches is we gonna Bible. Talking shit for a Noah can find you. I can never be judged by a bitch that was dancing, making all Kelly go viral. Hey, I'm sexy as fuck and I'm freaky. Get whoever I want any meanie. Why the fuck would I stay with a nigga that's weak and she's in the the track itself, Hiss, is actually really... The beat is so simple. It's like mm. three or four piano notes and just a really punchy, stripped-back sort of beat. So it's not a commercial song and she's just like borrowing on it it's like very like she's just doing what she does really well which mm. is this kind of classic style of like southern rap. But because of one lyric in particular... Um, it's gone absolutely massive and that's the lyric which is perceived to be a Nicki Minaj diss who has been waging war and come back. Yeah. So in terms of this whole situation and like the chatter around Hiss, like how do you feel about it? Are you enjoying the drama? I, th- I, th- I think I, I enjoyed the drama for about, you know, less than yeah. half a day. <laughs> and then it all got a bit dark. You know, yeah. I think when it was about 72 hours of Nicki Minaj, has she even slept? She's you crazy. Know? And then to kind of like start saying stuff about Megan's mum yeah. who's passed away and kind of threatening all this stuff, I feel like... And then uh, and then the title Bigfoot, which... Yeah, obviously makes reference to her being shot. Yeah, um, in the foot. Yeah, I feel like Megan's handled herself in a much more classy way in this whole thing. Like she's very much released that track. This is what I've got to say, and kind of stepped back from it. Whereas Nikki has just kind of like descended into this kind of like um, madness, basically. Mm, yeah. yeah, it's just gotten I, really ugly. I mean, I kind of the way I feel about it is like, I mean, maybe I'm just getting soft from my old age, and maybe sort of distant, distant tracks. I know mm. they're a big part of. They've always been a big part of like hip hop and feuds and beefs, and it's kind of part of the entertainment side of it. But I don't know. It just it kind of reminds me a little bit of when Drake and Twenty One Savage had that joint project, Her Loss, and Drake made had a lyric which seemed to be a joke, insinuating mm. that Megan had, had lied about being shot. And if that lyric hadn't been in it, like so many people I know who wouldn't have listened to that project were talking about it yeah. and they were talking about Drake and it must have ran up his streams and he was trending and mm. all the Twitter discourse or X discourse was all all about that rather than even music itself yeah. um, so I guess the thing is that you know if that lyric wasn't in Hiss I don't think we would be talking about it now I don't yeah. think many no, people yeah. would be talking about it and I think basically the thing is with like rap music is yeah like I say you know there was you know Jay-Z and Nas and the, you know there's Kanye and 50 Cent feuds have been there but I think we've maybe got a point where good music isn't enough to get noticed yeah um, I think with like like you know Ice Spice her song before this was a song called Pretty Girl with Rema the really great Nigerian artist mm. Good song, didn't like no one remembers it basically. Yeah, and with this track, hiss, it's like 
yeah, like I, th- I think Megan almost had to plant something like that in order for a single to travel on a really. I mean, she's so big yeah. that she's going to get a couple of million Spotify streams, whatever she drops. Yeah. But like, in order to have like a hit, so I wonder if that kind of reflects a slightly unhealthy mm. sort of. Uh, place we're in like I listened back to this podcast that uh, New York Times did which was really good in 2022 and it was about like hip-hop journalism mm. and they had these guys two guys who were kind of like OGs and I think one of them worked at The Source which is like the big 90s hip-hop mag with like the legendary one and then they had like a young guy who does like news for Complex mm. and they were talking about how like gossip has become the main form of hip-hop media like you know yeah. they've got the Shade Room and TMZ and they were kind of lamenting it a bit because you know while that was there in the 90s and stuff like really if you got you know the source will just give you mics instead of stars if you got five mics reviewing the source yeah everyone was in the stores buying your cd yeah if you had a really great music video everyone wanted it it got played on mtv if you had Mm. a track which popped off in the club uh then you were you had a hit so it was kind of music first yeah. and then you know if you're embroiled in some kind of drama that can kind of inflate your celebrity yeah. but they were saying basically what's happened in recent years is the kind of gossip side of it has overtaken discussion on the music mm. so I mean even here you know like in the UK like I think an artist can drop like I've, I've seen British rappers drop like decent projects and no one really talks about them and then yeah. the shade borough will like leak dms of them like you mm. know which suggests they've cheated on the girlfriend or boyfriend and then that's then suddenly yeah. they're trending it's just like voyeurism but i think it's so true what you're saying but specifically with megan i feel like it's almost as a result of what you've just explained it's like this is like almost the only way for her to like take back control of her narrative because yeah. there's been so much shit online and people you know saying that she's lying and releasing their own tracks and stuff it's kind of like how else is she supposed to kind of like put her mark down and say actually fuck you guys yeah. other than do this because the, the track she dropped before this snakes did you hear that one no no that was really good and it again I get, so but, but that, that, i think that goes back yeah. to what you're saying right i mean i'm a i'm a big megan fan love yeah her. um it's funny that i i didn't that snakes so, didn't even yeah mm. so in, in it snakes she like really opens up about what you just referenced jade about mm. like sort of uh a lot of mental health struggles and depression and stuff like that mm. and was like it's like a really vulnerable track but i mean look like it's megan the stallion so i think last time i checked it still got you know a bunch of millions oh, sure. she'll, she'll be fine she'll be fine yeah yeah but um you know it's not like a hit basically but i mean i guess the positive thing is you know like you said mm. it has been important for her to take back this kind of controlling narrative and also if this is what it takes for more people to just recognize Mm. and appreciate because the thing is is people want to hear it for the nikki lyric and then they hear great she's obviously a really skilled rapper yeah so if this draws more attention to her craft and her as a musician then i guess it's a good thing yeah totally But, but one thing so in terms of track the week I'm going to go with Saint. Yes. Because basically, I was just thinking about all this drama and there's a guy called Saint who, where's he from? Is he from Northampton? He is from Leicester. Leicester, yeah, yeah. that's right, yeah. Mm. Saint, just like kind just of... Chilling. Underground sort of UK rapper who's got like a modest but loyal fan base and he's got a song called uh, Tea of a Henny, is Tea it? Tea of a Henny. And there's a bar just about how him and his friends are flexing about drinking cups of tea instead of Hennessy. Yeah. And the production's beautiful. And with all this drama, I'm like, maybe I'm going to take a leaf out of the Saints and just have a nice cup of tea. Get a brew on. Yeah. And just kick, kick your feet up. Yeah. Please don't free up on the first day. 
I ain't work hard, don't get this far just to fly you out that quick I wear chrome hearts and gold yards, so tell your man he ain't rich I'm with the first one from my high school to be the first say I'm too rich Yeah, listen Cause rule one, don't cash out or try style out for no trip I don't trap, no, I just kick back, let my jewels show where it is I ain't trying to hear no stick, that to me just ain't top pit I feel like I think we have to call his the track of the week, but the face track of the week can be Saints T over Henny. Okay, okay. So yeah, actually, before we go on the subject of music, we're going to play an interview I did with Anna Cafola, the journalist, because she uh, travelled to Belfast to interview this rap group called Kneecap. This piece is out in the face. We dropped it this week, and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with how the profile turned out. It's, you know, about their provocative music and their art, but it's also about the sort of political tensions in Ireland and also just about um, kind of like sort of young people's views on a lot of kind of sensitive and intense situations. So yeah, here's Anna. And if you have time, I'd encourage you to read a piece on theface.com. You first pitched this story to me like back in December and you were about to go to Kneecap's homecoming gig in Belfast. It was a couple of days before Christmas. Uh, But when did you first hear about Kneecap? Probably a couple of years ago now, I would say that moment of the burning police Land Rover, the mural um, that popped up in West Belfast was probably their big controversial um, introduction to people outside of Ireland. And um, I would say I was listening to Kyrta, which is their big breakout tune that came out maybe 2017, 2018. And that's the that's uh, Kirta is Irish for rights and it was kind of probably I would say like the best proclamation for what the band are really about um, like it's provocative it's quite silly and sly but also has this um, really urgent kind of youthful message so I'd say yeah and everyone kind of all knows around Belfast and elsewhere across the island that their gigs are just absolute mad as a bag of cats like swinging from the rooftop like bottles of up past being popped like champagne like it's going to be a really really good night so they're very yeah notorious i would say and so they've always kind of been on my mind and the show was probably i presume the biggest one to date right because it kind of feels like they've been going since 2017 but they're kind of on the cusp of a bit of a international breakthrough right now they just did a big run of American and Canadian shows. They're going to be out there internationally again um, through the next couple of months. They're going to be doing a couple of more international festivals and they're just seeing their fan base like grow and grow. And as we talked about in the piece as well, they're having people in San Francisco or all over Europe who are like screaming back lyrics in Irish language to them who have maybe learned them phonetically and just kind of come across the language through them. Yeah, so I wanted to ask about that because it's really a big important thing about Kneecap is that a lot of their lyrics are in the Irish language. So like, why is that so significant for like a bunch of young artists to be rapping in Irish? As the guys would say themselves, they're part of what would be termed like the ceasefire generation. So that's a lot of young people in the north of Ireland who were born kind of just before or after 1998. So that's when the Good Friday Agreement Um, happened and that's what was said to bring peace um, to the north of Ireland but you know that was going to be this 
first generation to enjoy the spoils of peace and not be caught in the crossfire. But I think the north of Ireland is quite a striking template for how post-conflict society invades and occupies its youth and their youth culture. So intergenerational trauma, substance abuse, employment, brain drain, like people, you know, turn 18 and abscond elsewhere. Um, So being a young person there is like quite unique. I would say that kneecap represent this wave of young people that are kind of using their imagination and creative liberties with the Irish language and culture as a way to kind of liberate and creatively express what is their very true lives. And they also talk about how they're bringing this sense of um, urbanity outside of the kind of preconceived idea of what Irish language and Irish culture is. So it's not, I think Mukara puts it really well. It's not, you know, that they're sitting around in iron jumpers or going to Keeley's and lamenting the loss of an indigenous language. They, these are young people that converse in it. They live their culture through it. They survive through the Irish language. Mowgli Bat was brought up with Irish languages, um, his first language. The Irish language is very, very important to this kind of young youthful cultural resurgence and hearing people rap about drinks drugs and the dole in Irish language as well is uh, quite revitalizing. Yeah I was going to ask you about like their sense of humor because one thing the piece gets across really well is it's like they seem to have this sort of balance this thing of having this loads of banter and having this kind of slightly this kind of record humor uh but also obviously they kind of confront really sensitive really intense quite deep socio-political issues so i was wondering like is it kind of typical for young people in belfast to have that kind of quite sort of a provocative sense of humor it definitely goes back generations it's very dark twisted kind of caustic sense of humor um i think of any probably society that's gone through conflict or trauma in all these ways finds a way to metabolize it into something like art like humor and comedy and these guys are really good at joining all the dots between that and it's as um, DJ Provi I think says you know they know their music is provocative that um, it's really cheeky and acerbic and it's going to enrage and uh, scandalize a lot of people um, and it does at home and elsewhere but it is holding up a mirror to a society that really needs it and there is this young people who are like prodding at it for a reason on a surface level it's totally easy to see why the controversial for one you know the name's very provocative there's the balaclavas which you can see that could be perceived as intimidating you know when the big song is called get your brits out but like the way they come across in your profile is actually they're really quite warm and quite sound and actually seem like really level-headed guys so like did you enjoy because you went down to the pub with them and stuff like that and obviously you said they're kind of like it seems like they're kind of like local celebrities. Um, so were they nice guys? Yeah, like I had an absolute blast meeting them. Um, the pub that we went to, the Hawthorne, you know, you walk through the door and everyone immediately knows them. Um, we the Mowgli had his birthday there a little while ago and the bar um, manager still had his uh, baby photos that had been stuck up on the wall that all the local kids know them whenever he went out into the streets um, to take some of the photos with um, our group photographer Sarah Ellis 
um, we went to their local corner shop as well. And the guy in there immediately knows them and chatting away and handing out the scratch cards. And they're just very, yeah, warm and they know what they're about and incredibly authentic, like cool guys and just excited to be where they're at right now and see where this kind of weird little journey takes them. So they've got this uh, movie out, which is called Kneecap, and it's like a biopic, and it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in Utah, and then it's just won the Audience Award, right? Uh, mm-hmm. have, you, have you seen it yet? Yes, I have. Um, there was a screening of it in London there a couple of weeks ago, just um, on the day that it was also screened um, at Sundance. What's it like? Like, how, I know it sounds quite complicated, but could you describe it in just like a couple of words? Yeah, it is this mad amphetamine-fueled, semi-fictional origin story of kneecap. They all play themselves wonderfully as well, like really great acting. Mowgli Bap's uh, father and mother are played by uh, Simone Kirby and Michael Fassbender. You kind of see these uh, Mukara and Mowgli Bap as these down-and-out like dealers kind of nothing really going for them and um, the Irish Language Act is this pivotal moment in the film and the protest around that and they meet uh, DJ Provy who's an Irish language teacher and that is a true part of the plot Um, he was actually an Irish language teacher in a school Um, and you just see their kind of journey go from there it's um really trippy funny um really profound and also the big thing is that most of it is um in the irish language um so it as you say it uh, debuted at sundance and that was the first irish language film um to ever debut there and also the highest funded so it's a really pivotal moment for kneecap but also just culturally generally yeah well be interesting to see where the film goes and um I don't know, hopefully one day we'll see Kneecap in the red carpet and maybe DJ Provy will bring his balaclava with him. I hope so. And I'm excited to see what the next couple of months look like, whether that's more um, tabloid front pages or whatever, (laughs) a bigger movie deal. 